know if this is very very Christian of me to say, but <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the QT Cast, the official podcast for the QTRL. That's the Queer and Trans Research Lab, which is housed at the Bonham Centre for Sexual Diversity Studies at the University of Toronto. My name is Elliot, and this episode I won't be your host. What you're about to hear was entirely hosted, recorded, edited, and produced by Ezra Skandalaki and Henry Yang, undergraduate research assistants to the podcast. Henry and Ezra sat down with Luna Okazaki, Anissa Azar, and Zoe Faber, the other undergraduate research assistants at the lab, for a special undergraduate roundtable, which starts now. So, yeah, uh, jingle plays in the background. Okay, hi everyone, welcome back to another installment of the QT Cast. Today we have a very special episode because it's our undergraduate spotlight. So, you'll probably notice that I'm not Elliot, I'm Henry. I'm one of the undergraduate RAs at the um, Queer Trans Research Lab. I'm joined today by my fellow host. Hi, I'm Ezra. I am also an undergrad at the QTRL, um, and I will be hosting this episode with good friend Henry. Yeah. Awesome. And obviously, an episode would not be complete without its guests. I am joined today by our three lovely other <laughs> undergraduate RAs. Um, so I guess we'll just jump straight into it with introductions. We have Anissa, Luna, as well as Zoe. So I guess in that order, um, would you guys please introduce yourselves, your names, your position at the QTRL, and what you're currently working on in the lab specifically. So Anissa. Okay, so I guess I'll be starting based on the name name designation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hi, um, I'm Anissa, and I'm currently one of the undergrad RAs. And I'm currently working with one of the community fellowships with um, um, Ellie Otaker. And what she's doing at the lab right now is that we're working on, uh, what's the word? Um, We're looking specifically at sex workers in the university campus and how they navigate throughout the campus, especially campus life. And we're trying to compile like a lot of research on that and how the university itself maybe like works to harm these sex workers or just like, limits their mobility on campus and post and possibly at the end of our research we're gonna we're gonna just try and come up with a sex worker toolkit for future like sex workers in the university campus and maybe other university campus campuses too to like look at to help navigate further in their own work and try like you know do the work as safe safely as possible so it's like a lot of like looking at research policy and shit like that um, but yeah, I guess that's just like a good summary of what I do here. Awesome. And I'll pass it to Luna. I just realized that this is like alphabetical order. <laughs> it's really nice Did coincidence. You know? yeah, yeah, whatever. So um, hi, I'm Luna. Um, I'm one of the undergrad RAs here at the QTRL. I'm currently working with Christopher Smith, who is like the program coordinator. So his work revolves, well, he actually does a lot of things around the lab in general. So it's a lot of um, Excel sheet work. <laughs> and there's like, but on, on the side, like his own individual project is focused on black pride parades. So I've been doing a lot of like researching around like just collecting data of like all the black pride parades in the world. And then like finding um, archival materials, like um, videos and images and then all these like interviews and stuff like that um we're currently like trying to figure out a way how to like um you know compose all of that and then make like one clear archival file to like just organize certain things because it's just a lot of material but yeah that's basically what i do um i really like it here and yeah that's about it (laughs) awesome sounds great yeah and then zoe Hi, my name is Zoe. Um, I am an undergrad at the QTRL, and I work with Alfonso King Jr., aka Jade Electra, aka DJ Relentless. So that's their three names. Um, <laughs> and um, what we're working on really is they're a community leader. So what we're working on a lot is um, organizing HIV-positive events in Toronto. Uh, the next one is March 12th. It's a mingle event. 
Uh, it's organizing for Spearhead, and it's raising money for a charity organization of their choice. And that's really exciting, so we're planning for that. Great intro- introductions and a great way to just get like get to know you guys and what you're kind of doing around here. Um, so this is a really important question that we do have to ask. How do you like the lab? And you can get as honest as you want. How is it like... Um, has it added anything to your year? Has it caused you more stress? Are you finding it really enjoyable? Like, what's what's going on? Um. Okay. So, first off, I really do enjoy the lab. It's definitely been such a great time here. Like, I'm like really thankful that I actually got the experience to do this and just like, getting recommended for it. Um. But it's very different from what I expected. I'll say that. Um, when I, like, just thinking about the idea of, like, being a research assistant, I think it has, like, a specific set of goals, especially within, like, the realm of academia. You're associated with, like, these very certain specific rigid things, and then you actually go into, like, this position, and you find out it's actually very different. It's, like, a lot more loose, I found. Like, I found my schedule to be, like, it was still, like, you know, a bit of, like, an addition towards things, but it was still very just, like, oh, you, got, you don't necessarily have to focus too much on this task, or, like, it isn't necessarily just interviews you're looking at, or just, like, very archetypal, like, type of research work. It's just very... I can't try and find, like, a different word other than loose, <laughs> honestly. But it's just very, like, not chilled, but just... Free form. That's the best thing I'll say. It's very free form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, I've been enjoying it a lot. Um, I think outside of like um, working with Christopher, well, first of all, about that, it's like, it's. I've always had the idea of like being an assistant, especially that label has like a lot of uh, like power dynamic to it in the first place and then I've always had the idea of like working for somebody and so I've I was using that word a lot when I was talking to Christopher and then he mentioned it he was like you're not working for me you're working with me we're in collaboration and I think that's like something that I learned throughout just um coming to QTRL and then coming to like the share and tells it's like oh this is like collaborative work it's not necessarily something that's um, like super appreciated in academic spaces a lot of the time I think like a lot of a lot of time it's like oh like assistants will always have dirty work and <laughs> do all like the things that people don't want to do but I think it's it's such like a unique experience for me and I'm so grateful that I get to have this like like I get to share a lot of like emotions and also thoughts and like it's just yeah, I really like it, and it's very different, and it's not what I expected, but I'm enjoying myself, so yeah. Personally, I'm really enjoying the lab. Um, I think that it's really great because, especially like the pandemic, like we were very online, it felt very isolating, and I think that I've been able to meet some really interesting people like y'all um, uh, because of working at the lab. And I think that being around people who are so interested in like the world and positionality and the way that we interact with one another and ourselves is really fascinating and inspiring. And yeah, I think that's the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. All great answers. Um, This is more of an anecdotal question because, um, trust me, to people who are listening to this, you're really going to like the answer. Um, (laughs) How did you guys get introduced to the lab, out of curiosity? Like, how did you guys join the lab? Um, (laughs) Uh, Well, I think I can answer for most of us here, (laughs) and that we can all just... (laughs) We can all signal to our Lord and Savior here, that is Dr. Naveen Manai. Shout out Dr. Manai. Um, she's the one who recommended me to the lab as like as a research assistant. I actually had no idea this lab existed mm-hmm. until I like got the email 
from Dana, the head of the lab, she said, oh, we want to offer you this position in the lab, and you got came highly recommended by Dr. Manai. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh, I'm so glad that Dr. Manai thought of me like this. <laughs> it was just like, it was, it was, uh -huh. it was very, yeah. it was like very lovely and affirming. Yeah. So it was just like, and, and as we talked before, I think all of us had a similar experience with that. Yeah. So it was just like, um, lesson learned, folks, to the people who are, like, what's it called, listening to this, don't shut up in class. Mm -hmm. It will help you out in the end. Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So unless anyone has any other answers, that was definitely a fake-up question. Um, <laughs> just, just so that everyone knows how specifically the undergraduate research assistants are introduced to the lab for anyone's future reference. Um, so I guess um, adding on to all of your guys' current experiences at the lab, I wanted to ask specifically if there was anything interesting, um, funny, awful, just one thing that you wanted to spotlight that you have currently learned about in your re current research project. I think um, personally, uh, something that has been so great for me is working with Alfonso because they are like so full of knowledge. Like they have lived a very queer life for a very long time and not to make them sound like they're old. I don't think that they would like that. Um, uh, they're, they have a youthful energy, okay? Um, but they... They're just so full of knowledge and history and like they have like they've met people that I'm like inspired by like that are so fundamental to like queer history that it's just like it's like awe inspiring. I think it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that I've learned is um a lot of the work that I do currently actually correlates to a lot of the um, my coursework. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm taking a course called Methods in Queer and Chance Studies, mm -hmm. and we're learning about like how we can do research basically. And I think throughout that and throughout having conversations with Christopher, it's been really interesting to see how both of my worlds have like collided, and then it. By take it's it's a bit of taking a bit of both, so I get to learn a little bit in the lab, and then I get to learn a little bit in my coursework, and then that that kind of relationship um, results in like my like thinking about like how I want to proceed with my own work, and so not just like with Christopher's work as well. So it's been like in a way like a transformative experience and I, I yeah I'm like really enjoying it yeah um I guess also like just in general commenting also on like Luna's thing because like we're both in that same queer and trans ethics class same goes with our good friend Henry here so it's just like <laughs> yay our trio oh yeah <laughs> the three musketeers except awful um, <laughs> we're not awful come on don't put yourself down like that man um and so, yeah, I guess it's just been helpful on that front, just like, you know, a whole collaborative experience on that. Mm -hmm. I think one thing also the labs taught me is that communication is extremely vital. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't realize exactly how good it is to, like, be so consistently communicative with, like, um, with who you're working with, especially with Ellie. Because um, what I realized is that we both have very busy schedules because Ellie works a lot. Um, my research also is in collaboration with Maggie's, which is the big sex worker organization in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And so she's, woo, Maggie's. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so because of that, she's like working with like a lot of this activist work. Mm -hmm. And I always find that very vital because like I feel like she's like very involved in the community. But also, it's just like, she's also very busy. We're both very busy. So one of their issues, I think, is like trying to like book time for us to communicate together one-on-one, -on -one, like updating on our own work. And so as a result, I realized, oh, we got to be really communicative about like what our desires, our needs are in the future, mm -hmm. or just like, what do we want to plan forward or like check in with one another. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I really valued as that, especially because like, um, I think me and Ellie are also like kind of like really similar in age in some sense, where it's just like, 
it doesn't really feel like there's like a very big power dynamic between us, which is something I really appreciate, especially in the context of academia where like power dynamics feel so just like evident. So it's nice to have someone who's like, I can be on a general level with them and still like have that like good communication with them. So it's like, yeah, yeah that's just generally what I value. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, well, I'm gonna ask a question that sort of jumps off of what Luna talked about. Um, so we don't have our own research positions yet, but like if you were to have like your own little like like you were given, you know, the grant to do whatever you wanted, like what would you guys do? What would you guys uh, choose to research? Yeah. And think big here, no constraints. Like l- let's pretend this is a hypothetical question where nothing is off the table. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like personally like um I think that a lot of what I think about and like my major and minor specifically how they interact, I would love to learn more about like um, the impact of religion on different like in queer people, in queer like spaces, because I think that a lot of queerness is I don't know if this is very, very Christian of me to say, but very like, very like shame based, you know, like learning to overcome shame. And I would love to see like how religion may influence that, like organized religion specifically, like how it may influence that, how it may um, amplify or even serve to help that. Because I was reading about how a lot of um, queer migrants um, actually still uh, like their religion that they were brought up in even though it may have been a source of like persecution for them. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. Like I would love to learn more about how religion interacts with people. Especially queer people. Yeah, I was like thinking of my own interests and I think I kind of relate to like what you said about like queer people growing up in like spaces that are contested or like contested spaces, but like also simultaneously like appreciating that. And I and for me personally, I grew up in, well, I'm from Japan, and I grew up in a very, like, in a place where queer representation for me wasn't available, especially in, like, mainstream media. And then there's a lot of, like, um, like binary gender stereotypes, and it, it's just, it was really hard for me to figure out sexuality and fluid like thought fluidity but then like right now i'm in a place where i can like kind of appreciate that in a way but like through a queer reading and so i wanted to like if i were to do a research program or project it would probably be something on like like japanese media like representation like but like through queer readings or something like that i don't know i don't really have like a you know concrete Um, project right now but that's something that I've been thinking about recently yeah um okay because like I got like a couple ideas in my head I'm not gonna like bore everyone or just like take too much time (laughs) with like just explaining all of them but I think one thing that's been in my head recently because like a lot of people at the lab are kind of like talking about it you and so you kind of mentioned it when you're talking about like queer like religious spaces and like how queer people, queer people will navigate that. And I also get more so in relation to, what's it called? South Asian migrant communities in Toronto and how they navigate queerness, especially because, um, um, for a better context, I'm from Toronto. I lived in Toronto pretty much all my life. And, as, and I always lived on the east end of the city. And so what's interesting is that a lot of like, the queer stuff in Toronto is like mainly centered in downtown. So if you live like on the East and like Scarborough or anything like that, it's really hard to like navigate that and being queer in Scarborough, like anywhere like out of it, anywhere out of downtown really. So I want to maybe like, if I was to do something like that, I would want to navigate how like queer people, like maybe queer youth or queer adults navigate being like in those spaces or just like navigate their queerness in their own like areas as well and where it just feels like there's not really much of like a place to belong or like center like how like community is formed in some sense so it'll be interesting maybe to like look at that and like look at what spaces are formed like informally formally 
And so yeah, I guess that will be something I'll be looking at. And of course, again, the South Asian aspect, because like South Asian culture tends to be like, again, really conservative in some sense. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how like queer people like navigate that, especially with families, because like family is such an important tie in like South Asian culture. And it's just like, how do you navigate that when it just feels like you want that tie to your family so badly, but also it's just like, it feels like they don't really accept you as much. So like, I think that would be just like really interesting to look at in some sense. Mm-hmm. It feels so seen. <laughs> that. that is so cool. Cause I've Thank thought you. about like, also like wanting to research similar things, except like yeah. in a different cultural context. Like for uh-huh. me, it would be more like Middle Eastern, Mediterranean sort of mm-hmm. thing. But like, yeah, like you yeah. understand the struggle. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. In the East End, like it's impossible. There's like no, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not downtown pride. Yeah, it's not downtown pride. <laughs> it's just like, and you don't really just want to go downtown all the way all often, oh, you God, know? no. God, I, I've done that too much with the university right now. It's just still hell. <laughs> yeah Mm -hmm. yeah definitely those are also all by the way like really great answers because i know like we've all talked kind of individually about what our interests are in regards to like what we're currently studying in school and also what our personal interests are so it's really cool to i guess hear what everyone's thinking about in regards to like long term what they want to actually i guess academically really delve into um because i remember also at the reception which was one of the introductory meetups for our research lab to get everyone to know each other um we actually all talked really briefly about our current interests like i remember specifically we had a conversation about like different queer readings of different religious texts um there was one specifically that you mentioned i don't remember what it was but how like um a lot of ideas of like rebirth and renewal in a lot of religious texts can have explicitly trans readings for example mm-hmm. yeah i remember us talking about that and i thought that was really interesting as well so yeah i'm excited to see in the future it makes me really excited about the work that we could potentially do and it's great to have a lot of the I guess academic foundations and resources um, working in the research lab um, to best prime us for what we want to do in the future so yeah I guess kind of similarly along the research vein um, obviously I'm sure that we all enjoy what we're currently doing at the lab (laughs) (laughs) Um, but if you could pick any of the other research projects that are currently going on um, within the research lab uh, is there anyone that you would consider like um, also working underneath or like also working with? Um, maybe from like the previous Gerontals that we've seen or just generally from what you've heard? Um, you know, think of it here. Um, oh yeah, it was Anna, Anna Kozak. Mm-hmm. Um, she was telling me about her, um, what's it called, dissertation completion thing. Cause like her dissertations on querying the American autobiography. And I was really fascinated by that because like autobiography is like such an interesting thing to me because it's just like you're recounting your own life but like I think also there's certain autonomy towards to like autobiographies and general mythography because it's be like oh it's your own accounts that means it's technically the most truthful account I'm saying truth in air quotes (laughs) because like we have a tendency to fib our own lives and stuff and also how those fibs tend to like what's it called led themselves to to like certain ideologies or just like certain like instincts we have on narrative in and of itself and it's always interesting to examine that and I always love like examining like autobiographies in that sense especially like in a queer context too because um, like I think one of the ones she was mentioning was um, Fun Home by Alison Bechdel which is like excellent book but like if you're queer and listening to this you probably already heard of that <laughs> not to stereotype but you know mm. and so I think she said that was the one she was examining and I was just like oh wow this is like seems like so interesting being like queer perspectives and how like queerness is examined through the autobiography right yeah especially in like because like i think with queerness as a whole it's just like agency is kind of like not left to us in some sense so i guess that's what makes um um so that's guess what makes the autobiography um more vital to that degree because it's just like you know it's so like is again that that level of agency that's just brought to you it's just like i have my narrative to say and i'm gonna say how i want to say it so i think that's very fascinating but yeah i guess that's one of the ones yeah um i personally was like when i went to tl cohen's share and tell i was really like there was something that clicked inside of me because i was current i was going through the process of like access of um getting accessibility services Mm -hmm. and then that it was just like very coincidental. I don't know. I think I have like a lot of coincidental moments in my life. 
(laughs) 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 But like, um, yeah, there was something so moving about like listening to a U of T professor actually talk about going through that process and going through the stages of like, like not only grief, but also dealing with the everyday while simultaneously dealing with your own timeline because time doesn't move the same as like able-bodied people or like non-neurodivergent people but like Mm -hmm. it's just it was so fascinating to me because like I've never heard someone talk about like mental health in that regards but it it touched me in like a way that was like I want to learn more about that I want to like know more about that because I feel like it's just not talked about enough and yeah if I if I could like ever have like an opportunity to just like learn more about that then that would be cool yeah definitely I feel the same way that's the one that I was gonna mm-hmm. talk about yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah. like yeah, the discussion of, like, PTSD and being in an academia and being very neurodivergent and trying to, like, like, personally, like, I have to do so many things to just, like, function the way a normal person does. Like, it takes me, like, five steps to do something that takes someone, like, one, you know? And it's it's so exhausting, and I think that, like, especially, like, when you think about, like, um, I can't remember what it's called, accessibility services. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about accessibility services and how limited they are and how they're really just trying to tell you to, like, fit in or get out, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, like, um, a method to control um, the ideal student yeah. or, like, create one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, I think that T.L. Cohen's was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But everyone's is so cool and so interesting like so unique yeah. like i i'm constantly blown away by how i'm like no one has ever studied this the way that you have yeah like this is so unique mm-hmm. yeah. definitely i really I, I i specifically really get what you're saying i thought what you mentioned in regards to how accessibility services really a lot of their methods are just ways of i guess like priming the ideal student that was really generative to me because i think tail colon also uh sorry professor tail colon um, also echoed a lot of similar sentiments and that I think um, rather than accessibility services acknowledging that there are different learning styles, the different methods and I guess uh, accommodations that they do give you don't necessarily fit into your specific learning style, rather they're more so methods of you fitting into already kind of like the already kind of like etched in grooves of what is expected for learning habits of students, if that makes any sense, which isn't an effective way of going about diverse learning styles. Yeah, I was thinking like also TL, Professor TL, but also um, Al, um, Ellie as well, because like I think that both of the things that like they're studying just like really mean a lot to me, where I was like, I would gain so much personal fulfillment from learning about these things or like engaging with them more. But yeah, at like Professor TL's um, show, Sharon Tell, I was just like, I went home and I cried a little bit because I was like, yeah. Yeah, and I'm currently I'm currently trying to get accessibility services, and well, you know, it's going, <laughs> it's happening, I guess. But yeah, like the things that like I need are like just not like services that they can provide, and like my like it's so inaccessible to access accessibility mm-hmm. services. Like it's just ridiculous. Like one of my main complaints is that this is like a complaint in general about like the way that the school sets up websites is that nothing (laughs) nothing is clear like you go to like the accessibility portal but then it like doesn't tell you like what exactly you're supposed to do or like where to send it and like fix your web design it's it's like university that's like feels so focused on what's it called technology in some sense it's like you expect them to have a bit better website design or just like more accessible website design but i guess it doesn't fucking go in that department i got an email from accessibility services too where the whole thing is that in the email they never once clarified where i'm supposed to send this to yeah like how do you anticipate 
like me just figuring this out because I don't know. You haven't told me anything. Yeah, I had a similar thing because I was trying to get tested for like ADHD. And I remember they told me like, oh, we got to fill, fill these two forms out and then we can do like an in-person appointment. And then I, I realized, wait, I forgot to ask where, they, where I should send it in to them. And luckily they called me back because I had to get my health card information. And then I asked them and they're like, oh, you just fax it. And I'm like, who the hell faxes shit these days? I, I like, like, all love to all the old people listening to this, but like... I don't have a fax machine, so it's just like, and they didn't elaborate any other option further. I'm like, how do you expect these people to function? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, that's not effective communication. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> Great, so now that we've finished talking about everything that we do hate, um, <laughs> let's talk about some things that we like. So, um, I guess just generally, um, moving away from academia, any hobbies? And I guess also moving back into academia, um, if you could pick a research project to do based on one of your hobbies. I recently got back into dancing. And, yeah! And oh, I, I love, I used to do competitive dancing and I used to do ballet since I was like three until like 18. Oof. So it was like a big part of my life, but then that also kind of caused me issues and I took a mental break from it and then I came back to it and I'm like relearning how to love it yeah and I am re- I'm really enjoying myself and then I've always had um like not only like dance friends but I also have like a lot of like film friends who are studying in the U.S. right now yeah. and so I wanted to if if I could do something regarding dance film uh-huh. and then like something queer <laughs> then that would be cool you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh huh. I, I I get exactly what you mean because I know there's like there's there's like the standard quote which is like a dancer dies twice, whatever. Um, but I think also for a lot of art specifically, like anyone who does performance or music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there's also kind of like two renewals in that the first time you do like music or art, for example, is when you do it the kind of standard procedural institutional way, and then the second time is after you've dropped it and you pick up that like art again and you realize how to recontextualize mm-hmm. the art in a way that makes sense for you and that's when you actually genuinely start to learn how to love it mm-hmm. um i think um it's such like an interesting and beautiful concept yeah. um so i like i totally get what you mean because i also recently just picked up uh piano and songwriting again and composing so i'm like kind of in the same boat as you also interestingly it's not exactly the same thing but i know also we have another graduate dissertation uh, completion award recipient at the research lab uh their name Camille Rogers. Um, they're also doing a similar research project, yeah, I believe. Yeah, opera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the specific project is called "Listening for a Queer Utopia." Looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Anyways, other answers. Yes, I'm excited for your answer because we talk about music a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because like all that talking about like music is like um, it's kind of like a general thing going to the lab, but like I'm a bit of a music nerd. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's <laughs> sorry, Luda was just pointing at my. Um, Discman that I have because um, one of my I guess quirks on campus is that I carry a discman around with me all the time because I like collecting CDs because like it's my my primary form which is like collecting music in general and I just been doing a lot of like research in, like subcultures I guess because mm-hmm. like especially on like the 90s American indie slash alternative scene I'm like currently reading um, Our Band Could Be Your Life by Mike Azerod. Yeah. And that's a book specifically on like a lot of the big nine, uh, not nineties, but like all of the big like American indie underground acts. So bands like Black Flag, The Replacements. Um, one that I've been actually getting into recently is Sonic Youth. Yeah. So I know the Sonic Youth so good. <laughs> I've been, so it's just like, um, so I just like looking a lot at that. And in terms of, like research project, I can't put in the full details for this yet because it's still like like a lot of the information is going on about going up but I because like one of my favorite artists is Beck as well and I'm in the process of like maybe doing a bit of like possibly in the future a project on Beck because like one of my um, good friends is like doing something related to that again I can't reveal the full <laughs> details because it's still like you know in negotiations, negotiations right now, uh-huh. but hopefully I'll be like more involved with that 
and like producing something involving that, which I'm really excited That's for. So cool. mm-hmm. I also just wanted to note that I'm also a huge music nerd and audiophile, but it was after seeing Anissa with their disc man <laughs> that I was like, wait, I love CDs. Like the because of Anissa, I went and now I have the same disc man, Ooh, and now I'm, I'm also growing my CD collection. So. <laughs> Trendsetter, influencer, <laughs> icon. <laughs> Thank you, you for gassing me up here. I really appreciate it. Like, I need more for my ego. <laughs> um, personally, um, I think that, like, the uh, end of the line poetry press thing, that was really inspiring to me because I, uh, one of my hobbies is I really like poetry. Um, I, I'm obsessed with poetry. I thought it was, I was really unbearable in middle school. Um, and you know what? And that it needed to happen. It needed to happen so that I could. Yeah. yeah, it's a metamorphosis. You have to be a caterpillar for a bit. Get all Kafka-esque here. Yeah. No, absolutely, I will. Um, and I would love to do something like that, like because I really, I love poetry. I love. I have this whole hobby where, and I'm really bad at meditation because, like, I think we've talked about this. Like, we're, I think we're all neurodivergent. Um, <laughs> I, I cannot just sit still and think of nothing. I have to be doing something. So instead, I write down poems that I think are really interesting, that match my mood at the moment. Uh, I do it when I'm angry. I do it when I'm stressed. I do it when I'm happy. I do it when I need to calm down. Um, and I would love to get into, I don't know, like poetry journalism, poetry Ooh. journals and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I write poetry. Is it good? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so real. Is it good? I don't know. You can, I think there's some on my Instagram if you guys want to look at it. Ooh. I've read it before. It's actually very good. Like, yeah. shout oh, thank out. You. It, it, your Instagram is Madeline the Highlights, right? Top tier poetry. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, I write poetry. And like what you said, like writing poetry down, like as opposed to meditating, like I actually used to do that. And it was so, it was really, it's really helpful. It's a good coping mechanism. Yeah. I just wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I just want to add, like, what's it called? Even if it isn't necessarily good, you should make shitty poetry just for shitty poetry's sake. Because, like, I think sometimes we get so used to commodifying our own, like, artistic habits sometimes. Mm-hmm. Going back to, like, what you said in regards to Luna, like, the, the, the two deaths and the re- renewal and whatever, mm-hmm. like, I, so, I paint and then I also write poetry. Yeah. And so I started painting because I had, shout out to, like, my amazing aunt, who is, like, one of the most talented, creative Ooh. artists I've ever and met in my entire and life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so she taught me, like, the basics and then like inspired me to be like just go with it go crazy with your ideas mm-hmm. and so I had like that initial upbringing with art and then I like went to actual art school in high school and it was it killed me <laughs> um, like that was when my death happened and then I stopped doing art for like the longest time and then like only within the last like two three years I'm like I'm actually gonna like pick it up again and now I'm like yeah. what's my style yeah. what is blah, blah 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 whatever and then like same with like poetry like, for me, it's always been, like, I write the poem because I'm, like, in the moment, like, panicking or just, like, really thinking about something, and I'm, like, mm-hmm. writing it, and then I'm fine. Like, I'll literally write down, like, about a traumatic experience, and then I'm, like, into the void, send it off, and I'll post on Instagram, people are, like, oh, my God, are you okay? I'm, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm actually fine now. <laughs> like, that was why I'm fine, and then the same with, like, the painting, like, I'll paint the thing, and people are, like, this is disturbing, are you okay? I'm, like, yes, actually, <laughs> now I'm okay. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting. Yeah. I, I used to feel so limited by, like, especially... People hate upsetting things. Yeah. Like, I think people just, like... There's that lame quote that's, like, art is meant to, yeah, say, like, like, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Yeah. Oh. I know. Yeah. It's it's corny, and I think it's really true. I cause, But people hate to see it. And, like, I used to create a lot more disturbing art... And then people hated it, so I got into, like, landscapes. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. was just, like, like that was, like, that was a death for me. Like, I was, like, really into landscapes. <laughs> what is that? I did nothing there. Like, I think that uh, learning to reclaim, like, uh, your own creativity for your own use and your own purposes is really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to end off our episode today, uh, we just wanted to ask if, you had anything that you'd wanted to tell someone who is currently outside of the Career Trans Research Lab, or I guess just this general SDS community. Um, do you have any advice for joining the QTRL? 
um, or just generally speaking, anything that you'd want to just like advertise to, like, hey, come join us. I guess sort of along those lines, yeah. Talk to Dr. Menard. Overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that like, truly is the most helpful tip no, you could yeah, give. But, but in all seriousness, take an SDS course. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Yeah. Um, do the readings, but they're fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, one thing about like SDS is like there's no pressure. There, there's no like weird pressure into doing like good and I, I have like a couple of stem friends and they all talk about like really rigorous testings and stuff like that but mm-hmm. like there's no like it's <laughs> Henry I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> for context I'm a biochem kid I'm very sorry <laughs> no, so our sympathy yeah, <laughs> it's like the first time I've ever been like oh this is like I can do this for fun mm-hmm. and not have to worry about like oh like what am I gonna do about like this like essay or what am I gonna do about this like grade like I don't it's the first time where I didn't really need to care so mm-hmm. if you really like SDS you might enjoy the lab as well yeah <laughs> I don't know no yeah definitely echo what you said in regards to taking an SDS course I think regardless of what discipline you come from mm-hmm. it's always a good idea to take at least one yeah. in your yeah. undergraduate career I'm saying this as a second year like Take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Um, But, I mean, like, I think the great thing about this department is that the classes are incredibly generative and Mm perspective-building. And you learn so much about specifically... Like, it really elucidates your specific positionality in the world Mm -hmm. and the way you interact with other communities, Mm -hmm. which is something that I think really not a lot of other disciplines can do, especially because... Like, even even other humanities courses, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think a lot of them not necessarily fall victim, but they tend to choose a form of academic disciplinary measure that specifically focuses on kind of trying to find pattern and generalization within a lot of what they study and practice. And the great thing about sexual diversity studies um, and women and gender studies, et cetera, et cetera, is that they break that notion um, intrinsically. The point of SDS is to disregard this notion of right or wrong and binary. And that is what I think makes it so interesting and relevant to everyone. Because at the end of the day, very few people fall within that binary, um, whether we like to admit it or not. Um, and it's not like one of those like lame things. Like, again, I'm a biochem kid. It's not the same thing as like, oh, bio- biology affects all of us, therefore you should care about this biology course. Like, um, it, it impacts specifically like your identity and like mm-hmm. the way you interact with the world. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so generative. But. Yeah, it's really like self-reflective. Yeah, it's very self-reflective. It's very way. like therapeutic sometimes. Yeah, I agree also. Like you learn so much about yourself specifically yeah, doing yes. these courses. I'm like, wow, I yeah. thought about myself like this. Yeah, and even sometimes when... Sometimes it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it hurts, but mm-hmm. we, have, we go through it and then we're like, you know what? I'm so glad I did it. Yeah, exactly. And it's even when you're not just learning about like communities that you're specifically situated in. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like even learning about other communities, um, like for example, like we're taking a queer and trans research uh, methods class, for example, and it's really interesting to see how a lot of different types of research methods, um, while obviously sometimes being specific to other communities, also can be widely applicable to many other groups as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I think especially like if you're interested in like thinking about how you interact with the world and how the world interacts with you. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in like learning more about yourself and everyone around you and like if you have a curiosity about the world, you'll fit in. Yeah. You know? And I think that everyone does whether mm-hmm. or not they're aware of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, I guess if I have any advice, like, definitely, like, take SDS also for, like, that world building, but also take it, just have a sense of community. Yeah. Because yeah, one, yeah. yeah, one thing that's very nice about SDS, I found, is that it tends to be, like, it's a very close-knit group, because, like, usually whenever I take a course in SDS, it's just, like, oh, yeah, I know this kid from this class, and I know this kid, too. It's kind of, like, the same, similar groups of people. So it's just, like, very nice and just, like, that building of, like, a sort of kinship, which is hard to find in academia a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. especially at UFT, because, like, I've been here for, like, three years now, and it's been so hard to just kind of find friends here in some sense. And that's one thing I really appreciate about the lab, is just, like, because I'm seeing so many of you so consistently, 
it just feels like I feel like I'm like developing a nice friend group here. Just like just a nice sense of like you know, you know, kinship just in general. Yeah. Also, I'll say it's great because like join the lab also because you get a chance to meet like older people as well. So you mm-hmm. get a lot of experience from that because mm-hmm. like there are, are a lot of people in the lab who are like grad students doing their PhDs and stuff. Yeah. So you get so if you're like any interested or just like possibly going to like you know grad school and stuff it's also really interesting to like talk with them about continuing with education and how that all works out and all that jazz mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so yeah i would like to add on to that point and say that i think in general it's really important for younger queer people i believe i'm speaking for all of us when i say we're all queer here we all are <laughs> okay <laughs> that makes sense um i think it's really important for younger queer people to like interact and to see older queer people mm-hmm. because yeah. like, that's been stolen from us yeah it's been mm-hmm. stolen from us and to like see that like every time i interact with an older queer person i'm like wow like you are alive you are living you have this life you are doing things like because that's just like not like those aren't role models that are given to us. We have to seek them out on our own exactly. and to like find them in this place. Like even um, my own RA supervisor, I don't even think they're that much older than me, but to just like see this person who's a little bit more into like adulthood and living a queer life. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like that could be me. And like, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my bit. No, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying because um, it also reminds me of what we were learning about in a lot of our essays courses in regards to like the politics of invisibility um, and how a lot of communities a lot of the times tend to avoid leaving traces of themselves in history because that's another piece of evidence that institutions can use to find you and that can be unsafe, right? And the great thing about this department specifically is that we have a lot of people from not only just a lot of different disciplines, but specifically a lot of different backgrounds and perspectives. Um, perspectives specifically that you a lot of the times can't find easily within, you know, academic archive, medical archive, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is why it's such a valuable opportunity getting to interact with these people on a daily basis. So, yeah. Uh, surprise, I guess you thought it was over. Welcome back. Uh, Ezra and I also had some more things we wanted to say. So, um, Ezra, I just wanted to ask, adding on to all of the other really great sentiments that were addressed within the first half of the episode, um, what do you like the most about the lab? Like, how are you enjoying your time here? Um, how have you liked working on the TV cast so far, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, um, well, I've really enjoyed working at the lab a lot. I really feel like it's sort of enhanced my school year, if anything. Um, it's been really, like, really, really fascinating um, getting to meet all these different kinds of people, especially um, everyone who's doing, like, um, a research who's conducting research here doing a project and like getting to hear about that um in a lot of ways i'm just so excited to like be exposed to like interesting um i guess like thoughts themselves but also different ways of thinking about things things that like i just had never considered and then you know i'm really um i'm really being forced to like to reconsider a lot of different things in a lot of different ways um so that's been really cool and have definitely also, like I said before, met a lot of really cool people, have made some really awesome friends. Um, and I'd say overall, yeah, like I said, initially, totally a huge enhancement to my year. And working on the podcast has been super cool, actually. I think that working on the podcast has given me an interesting um, up-close approach to a lot of the people uh, doing research because I really get to hear um, from them in a more personal manner or, yeah, a bit more personal, informal um, sort of get like a bit more close and almost ask more about like behind the scenes and such. Um, so that's been really awesome. Um, and then also just like learning, like how does a podcast work? How do you edit audio? What goes into all of that? That's also been super cool to learn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you like the lab? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, yeah. Before I jump into how I felt, I actually really want to agree um, in regards to like, it actually like really enhancing my school year. Um, I was, like moving into this, I was this year I'm doing a methods in queer and trans research methods or sorry, studies in queer and trans research methods class um, with Professor Manaya. And um, one of the main topics within that course, obviously, is like around this idea of like qualitative research method and interview as like a research method falls under that category, um, along with like cross-sectional studies and stuff like that. So it was actually really interesting getting to work with that interview method. Um, like hands-on it really helped I guess elucidate like the role of I guess quote-unquote subjective experience in research because coming from someone who's like 
from a STEM background, um, it's not something, I feel like it's something that's like greatly underused or underappreciated um, within the scientific method. And it's been a really eye-opening experience, I would say, um, working with something that is pretty off the beaten path for me, I'd say. Um, I'd also want to echo what you said as well in regards to like getting to hear from a lot of different perspectives from around the lab. I think that specifically the two of us are actually really privileged in that um, while everyone else in the lab is kind of forced to focus on one specific <laughs> research project, we have the opportunity to sort of like sample all of the different really wonderful research endeavors that are happening all around the lab. Um, and I think it makes for a really holistic and also interesting experience because like my brain personally, I like moving around a lot in regards to like what I'm thinking about. And I think um, working on the QD cast kind of fits that for me perfectly. I get to, you know, research um, one of our guests pretty in depth, and then I move on to another one every time we have a new uh, episode. And yeah, overall, it's just been very, very generative and fascinating, um, just given the fact that I'm also pretty interested in what everyone else is doing in the lab as well. And it also should go without saying that, like, I have a, I have a bit of an IT background, so I actually really like working with sound um, and doing all of the fun, like, clerical things that come with interview. Um, as well as specifically with podcasting. So yeah, also, of course, really big shout out to our wonderful, uh, I guess you could say supervisor, Elliot, who's been, you know, absolutely instrumental in helping us <laughs> this entire time. Thank you, Elliot. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so the next question is, I think a little bit hard to answer, <laughs> but super fun. So given that, you know, we are just research assistants, we don't have our own positions yet, mm. yet being the important keynote word here, um, <laughs> what would you be interested in working on outside of the lab? Like no constraints, think big. So for me, the reason why I joined the sexual diversity studies department um, was because I'm specifically really interested in masculinity studies, um, specifically within East Asia. So I'm really interested, um, firstly, in looking at the relationality between um, many different East Asian cultures, uh, I'm also interested in how like East Asian masculinities is specifically contextualized within media studies. So that's looking at different like academic as well as mainstream sources um, that depict things like, you know, fragile scholars, the rise of DL within the East Asian geography, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, the difference in how we perceive star bodies within um, East Asian culture versus, you know, I guess if you want to call it quote unquote Western culture, um, and also specifically looking at how um, conceptions and also depictions of like queer male homoeroticism has changed from like postmodern to contemporary times. Um, I'm also really interested in specifically HIV and AIDS policy transnationally as well. Obviously, it's really interesting to look at movements such as ACT UP, you know, movements that are very much so like Western centric, but I mean, at the end of the day, HIV AIDS is kind of like a global phenomenon. And I think that's also really important that we expand the academic breadth of material that centers itself on what HIV and AIDS from a health policy standpoint looks like um, in countries, you know, across the ocean, if you want to call it that, specifically how it impacts, um, you know, uh, people who come from queer backgrounds, just, you know, given the fact that they tend to be the people that are most disproportionately affected by HIV AIDS, especially transnationally. Well, it depends, obviously, but, you know, that's a discussion for another day. Um, how about you, actually? Because we've actually had a lot of uh, discussions in the past about what you're interested in, but I think it'd be really interesting for you to, like, really spotlight right now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was, like, trying to think, like, while you're talking, by the way, I do think that the topic of masculinity is so interesting and hardly really discussed and, like, uh, really delved into, but I do think like I'm personally just really interested in masculinity as a topic because I feel like there's so much that we could know or that we could talk about, but we don't. Um, so really, really cool research topic, I think, that you've chosen. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, um, I guess in a similar, similarly sort of related vein, um, part of what really captured my interest with SGS was looking more into like things related to like my my culture, or at least the cultures that I grew up with and came from, much of which is like Balkan or Mediterranean, if you will. And I was really interested that, or what I was really interested in learning more about that I was allowed to um, sort of investigate was 
like was this topic because it didn't really feel like I had the room to really delve into that or like get really personal in other um, disciplines. But I've been really interested in understanding, um, I guess you could say the this is heteropatriarchy actually. Um, and just like how the patriarchy as a whole like functions in um, and specifically Roma culture, but also like I'm from this tiny island called Crete. Many people have probably heard of it. Many people have probably been there on vacation. Um, for those who don't know, Crete is an island um, off of Greece. It is a very disputed territory actually between Turkey and Greece. And it's this very interesting island with a different dialect of Greek spoken as well as like different um, ethnic and cultural um, populations going about. It's very, it's just a very interesting place. Um, so that's where I'm from. And I've always been very curious about how the patriarchy is like such a strong uh, figurehead in the family and just in the overall community. And I've always been interested in like dissecting that because, you know, um, I, I guess essentially what I, would be really interested in is like archival studies or going back into history and thinking about like like where did the patriarchy come from how does it function what are the roles of femininity and women and um looking to topics like I guess more domestic topics as well like the, the family function and sort of dissecting this idea of um the nuclear family because I definitely know for a fact that that was sort of imposed from Western influences, and I guess I'm, I'm really curious to see like what came before that. What was there? Like if I peeled back the layer of the Westernization of everything, what would I see? What would I find? And then like similarly, going off of that, um, what about sexuality? What about sex? Like as a whole, like how is that dealt with? How is that talked about? Is allowed? Is it not? Or I mean, is sex allowed? Of course, it's probably allowed. But you know what are the what are the customs mm -hmm. what are, what are the beliefs what are the values do we believe in concepts like virginity what constitutes virginity how um how important it is that a bride be a virgin things like you know you know stuff like that um i'd be really interested in exploring that sort of stuff mm -hmm. no yeah definitely that sounds wonderful i love specifically the specificity and specificity in regards to like you're obviously um talking about a lot of like age-old questions that have you know been prevalent mm -hmm. in the minds of scholars for years but like I love the specificity in regards to the specific culture that you're really narrowing your research onto so yeah sounds yeah. really interesting I guess rounding off our like mini segments for our two hosts <laughs> who really want to hog up time um any advice for anyone who's like outside of the QTRL um or people who are potentially looking to join the QTRL whether that be as an undergraduate research assistant or something else uh okay well I'm going to echo what um some of the other guests had already previously said which is talk to Dr. Naveen Manai um very very <laughs> lovely person brilliant super intelligent professor um if you've ever attended any of their lectures you will be really captured by how eloquent their words are. Um, and this is coming from someone who's not very eloquent when they speak. Um, <laughs> you, you definitely are in total awe. Um, but just in general, like talk about your interests, talk about what interests you within the realm of SDS. And you might think that not a lot of things could fit within it, but believe me, tons of things could be explored through an SDS lens. And it is so cool, so interesting, but like, be open about like what you're excited about, what you're enthusiastic about. It will totally lead to interesting opportunities and you will definitely have a great time. What, do you have any advice for anyone outside of the QTRL or outside of SDS that you would like to uh, share? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, I would say, again, uh, first, okay. So actually I wanna echo two words that our director Dana always says in regards to what she would say to people who would who are looking um, at the SDS faculty, which is join us. I mean, it's a very welcoming faculty. Mm -hmm. um, the people who you work with and also people that you study alongside are some of the most um, like kind-hearted um, and intelligent people that you'll find at the university, I'm sure. And it also should go without saying that, I mean, contrary to like a lot of other fields that tend to be a little bit elitist, I guess you could say, or just given the fact that there's so many people that are trying to get into like certain STEM fields, for example, where they're kind of forced to call the field, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. SDS, we're a relatively small faculty. And also we 
prize and uh, like seek the perspectives of diverse people because that's literally what we study. Um, and so it should go without saying that regardless of what your background is, where you come from and what you believe in, um, your perspective will be valued and uh, recognized uh, whether you're doing like a course, whether you're doing research in the faculty, et cetera, et cetera. And it should also go without saying that um, SDS is a very interdisciplinary field. Um, yeah. Like uh, you have people who are again researching things that like Ezra and I are interested in, which obviously concern, concern things like East Asian studies, Balkan studies, et cetera, et cetera. But then you also have people who are doing studies in political science, philosophy, you know, health studies, et cetera, et cetera. And the list keeps on going. There really is like so many different applications for so many different fields. Without a doubt, you will be able to find your niche in this department. And I think that's largely what the beauty of the department is, like just truly how, I guess, academically flexible um, it is. So yeah. Definitely. Woo! And then ending jingle plays. Yay! Yay! <laughs>